We are in part 17 of our Revelation series, and I entitled today's message, Chewing on the Word. It will become very obvious here in a moment why. But we're in chapter 10 of Revelation, and there's a couple concepts I want to begin with. And then it very simply it's this. There's no real way to understand the good news of Jesus without understanding the bad news of the world. What we tend to do as believers is walk around through the world and tell people they need to get a vaccine or an inoculation for a disease they do not believe they have. That's called just a shot, right? Nobody likes getting shots. All right. I mean, it's one of these things where you go, why in the world would I want pain? And you go, well, because it's good for you. Good for me for what? I don't even have a problem without the bad news. Good news doesn't look all that good. And we begin to talk about, well, the Lord, you know, we really you have to involve the Lord in your life. Why? Well, because you're dying of what? Well, your sin. My what? And we all of a sudden realize we're working backwards. We begin to talk to people and say, you need Jesus and say, no, I don't. And then you get into this battle over it. Why wouldn't we want to begin by saying, tell me about your life? Because I can tell you there are certain elements of your life that Jesus will speak into. Because the way we sell Jesus nowadays is we sell him like an add-on. Your life's doing pretty good, but if you want to maximize it, get a little Jesus shot, okay? Well, a lot of times that's where people are going, no, nah, it's cool, that's good for you. It's not good for me. Now, actually, Jesus is good for everybody. And there's a reason why, because we're all dying. And you go, well, I don't like to focus on that. Okay, then your good news isn't all that hot. Do you understand? If you don't want to share the truth of what's going on, if you don't want to talk to your coworkers about the fact that they have a big, huge, God-shaped hole in their heart, if you don't want to talk to them about the fact that they feel like they're falling apart from the inside out, if you don't want to talk about some of the rough issues of going, do you realize that God has expectations of His creation, and we're not doing those, then when you come to the point of Jesus saving us from something... Nobody cares. Something weird about the way that our world works, and I don't know why God created it this way, but it certainly appears that some good things don't ever appear good unless they're put against their opposite. For example, would we all agree that protection is a good thing? Well, yeah, actually it makes us feel good. You go, oh, wow, so-and-so's looking after me. Do you realize protection is only valuable in danger? Otherwise, it's just stalking. Right? If there's no danger, it's creepy. Okay, why are you protecting me if there's nothing wrong? Protection is only seen in light of danger. Well, there's other things like that. I was writing them down. I looked at that and I said, wait a second. Joy is only exuberant after what? Pain. The fill in the blank in front of you is true as well. It's this. Dawn... As in the sun rising, dawn, is refreshing after a long, dark night. Dawn is refreshing after a long, dark night. After you've stumbled through and fallen into holes that you didn't even know were there. After you've had a very difficult time and wonder, is this night ever going to end? Oh my gosh, I wish it would just stop. 
I want this pain to stop. Then all of a sudden when the sun rises up, it's glorious. For some of us, we need to see the book of Revelation for a very specific reason. And that's that we begin to see sides of God that are balanced. Instead of constantly promoting only one side of Jesus, we begin to see the other side. Unfortunately, it makes us uncomfortable. What do I mean? Well, as I said before, when you cry out for justice, when you finally see it, weird, very uncomfortable. But you must realize that God is vehemently angry against sin and evil. Only then do you understand revelation. But only then when he shouts out, no more delay, I'm shutting the world down. Until you know the whole picture, that doesn't sound like good news. It just sounds mean. I just hope that in our minds we expand out to get a bit more balanced by looking at who our God is. Now, a lot of you haven't been in this Revelation series, so let me remind you why we're here. It answers certain questions that are in everybody's mind. Does God care about me? Why is all this bad stuff happening and he doesn't seem to do anything about it? The question is, will he do something about it? The answer is, yes, he will. How long is he going to let me suffer? That's another question, right? Is God still in control? Yes, that's why it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me reveal to you that he's still in charge. All these questions get answered right here in this book. All these things our heart is crying out for over and over and over. God, do you love me? Yeah, sure do. Why do the bad guys always win? They don't. And these get answered systematically through a very unusual book. So if you're joining us for the first time, one of Jesus' best friends here on earth, John, received all these visions about how the world would end. And why? Through these series of visions, we've been kind of tracking through and learning more stuff about God. I don't pretend to know all the answers. I don't pretend to give it in a nice, neat little package. My job is to train you to think critically. My job is to train you to know the Word of God and to study it on your own. You don't have to agree with me. But when we dive into this, there are certain things we must know. Now we're right in the middle of the seven angels coming out and blowing seven trumpets. We know trumpets are warning. We've now heard six of them. And the pattern, because there's always these groups of sevens, is that there's the first four, break. Then there's two, break. Then the final, we're in the break. We're in a big, huge parenthesis. It's almost like John seeing all these crazy visions. And then all of a sudden there's a pause in the action. And John gets to do something. That's chapter 10. Would you turn there with me? John, uh, Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. It's page 872. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. If you just came in, all you got to do is drop your Bible all the way to the right. You're already going to be there. It's going to be pretty easy. Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. At first, you read this and you go, gosh, I'm missing. Why, why do I care? Read this through and see if something doesn't immediately jump out at you as far as how we must change as people. Let me read through this chapter 10. We'll pray for the word and then I'll tear it apart and see what we got for today. All right. Then I saw, John said, another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. 
He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice in heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said. Do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it. And said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to the servants and prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. That's weird. All right, I feel like I say that every time we read anything out of Revelation. Man, that's weird. Let's pray about it, yeah? Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that we would be able to soak in your word for a moment. And Lord, I ask that we would change because of it, that you would transform us from the inside out, that, Lord, that we would love you more because we know you more. Oh, God, help us become students of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He begins with this. Then I saw another mighty angel. I mean another mighty angel. How do you know he's mighty? Right? All angels are big and buff, right? They're all studs, right? But apparently, when you're looking in an angel kind of way, they differ from one to the other. Why? I don't know. Right? Maybe one looks like he's pumped up on the juice. I have no idea. Right? All of a sudden, big, enormous, mighty angel comes flying down, and he said, wow, that guy's enormous. Right? Another mighty angel comes down from heaven, and as you notice, John moves around a lot. Right. First, he's up in heaven, then he's down on earth and he's up in heaven, then he's over here. Right. Well, it's no different when you guys are in a dream. Right. All of a sudden you go. And then I was in and you it doesn't seem weird in the dream. How did I get here? You never ask that. You just kind of go, Okay, now I'm suddenly here. I'm in a cathedral. I don't know why. Right. Then all of a sudden you're in the shopping market. So uh, the idea is that John's being moved around so that he can see some perspective. So he's now on earth and he's watching an angel come down from heaven, a mighty angel. Now, what's this angel look like? Check this out. He's robed in a cloud, rainbow above his head, his face like the sun, his legs like fiery pillars. That looks a lot like someone we've been introduced to before. Looks a lot like Jesus. Jesus is described early on in the book of Revelation in very similar fashion. So most commentators go, it's Jesus. I disagree. You don't have to agree with me. But some of the things that he does and the context and the way that it's written doesn't seem to say that it's Jesus. You go, but he looks like Jesus. Well, yeah, he does. But you know what? When you're talking about heavenly beings, they all kind of have a similar groove. Because the way that they look is not actual. The way that they look is describing something about their character. And I will tell you this. When you're around God long enough, it changes who you are. 
and it makes you look a certain way. But is it Jesus? Very, very possible. You could believe that and be very solid, right? But if it's not, if it's just an angel, because a lot of times, if this is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, why not call him Jesus Christ? Right? Why be all mysterious about it? It might just be an angel. Now, whenever there's an angel in the Bible, all the commentators guess the only two names that are mentioned, right? It's got to be Gabriel, right? Because we know Gabriel's name. Or it's Michael. Yeah, it has to be Michael because we only know two names. So we have to guess one of the two. I'm going to venture to say it's the other guy. It's just a mighty angel, right? We'll just name him like Dwight. Okay, so we have like Angel Dwight. It doesn't have to be one of the ones we already know. It can just be a mighty angel. There's a lot of them, right? But we have this enormous, powerful angel. Look at the description of who he is. And by the way, just just to let you know, angel is not a being. Angel's a function. You know, what are you talking about? Or we always try to say, well, there's human beings. And then in heaven, there's angels. Well, Hold on. Angel means messenger. So if you function as a messenger of God, you're functioning as an angel. And you go, well, no, that's all the heavenly being. No, it's not. We already met the living creatures. We've met seraphim. We've met cherubim. None of those are angels unless they function like an angel. In my opinion, Jesus Christ functions in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. In other words, his function is angelic. So there's nothing wrong with calling Jesus an angel. I just don't think it fits here very well. So what happens? What does he look like? What's his character like? Well, the first thing is it says he was robed in a cloud. Okay, that must feel very light and airy. I don't know what it feels like, right? But you're walking around. You got, you got all these clouds around you. Why? That's a God thing. You know, what do you mean it's a God thing? I don't know why. I just know it is. Let me give you an example why. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai, what happened? It was a thick, dense cloud. Whenever he would go meet with God in the tabernacle, how did everyone know that God showed up? A big, huge cloud descended on the tabernacle. When they were traveling through the desert, at night it was a pillar of fire, by day it was a pillar of cloud. It's the same thing. Is it just keeps being clouds. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is being transfigured before the disciples, a cloud descends and God's voice comes out of it. When Jesus ascends, after being raised from the dead, in front of his disciples, he says, you guys, I'm out of here. And he ascends up in what? The clouds. When it says he comes back, he's coming back in a cloud. Okay, so over and over and over in the Bible, clouds are God stuff. It's like a vehicle. It's not like he's driving the cloud. It just means that clouds, there's this power around him that appears to be like a cloud. So this angel is clearly this heavenly being on a mission from God, clothed in a cloud. Then what does it say? It says with a rainbow above his head. Now we know when we saw the throne room, there was an emerald rainbow around it. Remember that? And what do rainbows make us think of? It makes us think of Noah, the flood. Why? Because that was one of the first promises of God. I'll never flood the earth completely again, right? So it either means mercy, because that's really what a promise was, mercy, or faithfulness to his promise. I would suggest to you that it suggests both, right? This angel, whatever he's about to say, is going to be true. It will be something about mercy, and it will be faithful that what he says will come to pass.
All right. What is the third thing it says? It says that his face was like the sun. Now we saw Jesus be transfigured up on a mountain in front of his inner three. Peter, James, and John got to see him shine as bright as the sun. You go, well, it's totally Jesus. Why are you saying it's not Jesus? He's shining. Anybody remember what happened with Moses after he saw God and he came down from the mountain? What happened? He had to cover his face with a veil because he was shining. When I was going through this, I came across one of my favorite verses, Acts 4.13. It says that Peter and John were taken before the authorities. And the authorities looked at them and they said when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were ordinary, unschooled men. They took note that they had been with Jesus. In other words, when you're an average person and you sit in the presence of God, it changes you. And everybody can tell the difference. So i got a question for you. Do people have any idea that you're a believer? Is there anything coming out of you? You look at all like... It, well, literally, people would go, man, I've known that person for 10 years. They're different. I'll tell you that. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying that they're better than everybody else. What I'm telling you is I know what they used to be and I know what they are right now. Take note, they are with Jesus. I, they've been around him. Something's different about them. There's either a settledness of their spirit or there's an idea that they're okay with God or whatever. Is there a fire? Is there a passion? I don't know what it is for you, but do people take note and go, man, something's weird and it's right, right? That's a challenge for us. Then it says what? His legs are like fiery pillars. I could lift up my pant leg. I don't think I have fiery pillar legs. I think they're pretty much just like regular guy legs. What is the deal with fiery pillar legs? Here's the, here's the idea. They have been through the fire. They're tested and they're solid. That's why they keep being referred to like that. They're glowing like they just came out of the fire. That's what it means. It means that what he's saying is solid in authority and it can be trusted. It's already been tested and it's been proven worthy. Now, so we have this mighty angel. Then what does it say? It says he was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. Okay, big enormous angel, little baby scroll. Now, that's just odd. And every, all the commentators go off on, why is this little scroll? And, and to be honest with you, this word is really weird in Greek. It's only ever used in the whole Bible here. There is no other time that it's used. Normally, it's a different word for little scroll. It's just a bizarre word, right? And it's the word that comes from biblios, which is where we get the word Bible from. So it's the same idea. Remember the big scroll that broke the seven seals? As Jesus broke them, same word, mini version, right? So we got a little baby, baby scroll. Now everybody starts guessing, oh, this is big. It's only a part of what God has to say. And this is special and it's, it's tailored towards this. And it's, you know what I think? I think it's really practical. I think John has to eat it and it's a lot easier to eat if it's small. <laughs> I think that's pretty much why it's small, right? Because it looks really dumb if you go... Now eat it. And it's like six hours later, he's cutting into it and he's still trying to, okay, it just ruins the mood. All right. So let's just take the little scroll and shove it down our mouth. All right. Great. Fantastic. Move on. All right. Little baby scroll, right? Has something to do. It's open. It is a revelation of God. God has told people something 
Now eat it is the idea. We'll move into that here in a moment. So he's got this little scroll laying open in his hand. And then look how big he is. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So now you have this massive stance. Now, if you put your hand, foot in the sea, you would then need to walk on water or you can reach the bottom, right? This is a big angel. So he is straddling land and sea. This concept is the whole earth. That's what land and sea mean together. So it means or suggests his authority is over the whole earth and what he is about to say will impact the whole earth. It actually will say that phrase three times in this chapter. So it's obviously kind of important. It says, and he gave a loud shout like what? The roar of a lion. You go, there it is. It's Jesus again. Man, we know Jesus is a lion of the tribe of Judah. It's totally Jesus. Uh, Except for this is kind of a weird translation of the word roar. Although it is used of a lion, it's more commonly used of a cow. What does it mean? It means mooing. (laughs) Okay. Now that is a totally different picture, right? And he mooed like a lion or whatever. (laughs) You're like, "What? what are you talking about? Okay. It means a deep, guttural, powerful strong sound coming out because truly oxen in the Bible are known for their strength. And there's this idea that there's this big booming sound that comes out of lions and oxen and things like that, because it's coming from this deep, scary, powerful part of them. Right? So all of a sudden there's this big booming, bellowing voice. That's all it means. Right? And why is he shouting? Why do Why does everybody yell in revelation? Right? Because it means that it's carrying out to all the universe. Everybody's supposed to hear it. That's why. And they didn't have microphones. Okay, moving on. Here we go. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. The who? Who are these guys? The voices of the seven thunders. What? It doesn't say, and seven thunders spoke. It says, the Seven thunders spoke. So apparently, John's readers would have went, oh, the seven thunders. (laughs) Right? I don't know what we're talking about. No, this is totally out of out of the left field for me. Seven thunders. What is this? All we know is that when God speaks, it's likened to thunder. We know that in ancient Old Testament literature, whenever there was a thundering voice, it was God's voice. So this would likely be God's voice, but why seven? Well, it's the same reason that there were seven spirits that stand before the Lord. Seven is the number of perfection. It is almost like saying the total will of God or the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all together made a statement. They shouted out something in response. We don't know what the angel shouted, and we don't know what the response was. Why? Look at the next phrase. It says... And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and don't write it down. Then why'd you write it down? Yeah. He never tells us what they said, but he said they said something. And you're like, this is weird. Why can't we just know? There's a couple things I think it suggests. One of them is very possible that there's stuff we don't get to know. Everybody okay with that? Y'all understand we are not God? And sometimes God's going to go, you know what? No, you're not going to get that one. Sorry. 
Then you go, why record the incident then? Well, because maybe that's my point. Maybe my point is, when something got fired out and this angel was about to say something, God responded with something that would blow our minds. And he said, if you knew that information, you would change how you live. And I don't know if it's for the best. You will not hear that. You go, then why did John get to hear it? We got two choices. One, maybe it was as an encouragement to John. Do you ever think that? See, our God sometimes gets really personal. Even though he's talking to all of creation, he may well say, John, I allowed you to hear that for your benefit. You heard what I said. Don't write it down. You know. Because John is personal to God, too. It's not just about the masses. Sometimes it's about the individual. Or, second option, John's watching stuff in real time, and he just happened to hear top-secret information. What do I mean? Well, I mean, literally, John got transported in the future, he's watching all this stuff happen, and while he's writing it down, he's seeing stuff that's flying past his face, and he's just trying to get it down as fast as he can, and God goes, strike that. Just like that. Now, is that possible? Possible. All right. The seventh thunder spoke. They respond back. There's more to the story. And then it says what? Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore. You guys, that's not all that weird, right? We do that, put your left hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, right? We do that whole thing, swearing of the oath in, in court. Yeah. Same idea. Why? He raises his right hand, the right hand of authority and power and decision making, and he raised it, and he raised it up to heaven. Why? Because that's the throne room of God. Now, we are told in the Bible not to swear by heaven or by earth or anything that's in it. Do you remember that? Jesus said, stop manipulating people. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Quit trying to manipulate everyone by going, I swear to God I'll do that. Either you're going to do it or you won't do it. Quit involving God in it. Because you're so flaky, your word doesn't mean anything anyway. If you've got to go around and put a disclaimer on everything you do, no one trusts you. Do you get that? Just say yes, just say no. Don't play with people's emotions. But here we have an angel swearing and going, listen, what is about to happen is true. Every bit of it. What I'm about to say is sealed by God. This will come to pass. And then how does it describe God? It describes him in kind of two ways. It tells you something about the God that you served. First one is what? It says he swore by him who lives forever and ever. What does that mean? It means God is the eternal. You are swearing not by a God who just got on the scene. I don't know. Can anybody catch me up? Nothing like that. He's there before time and he will be there for eternity. He is the uncaused cause, the prime mover. In all of the universe and outside of it. This is the God that we serve. Then it says he's the creator. What does it say? It describes three elements. Who created the heavens and all that is in them. The earth and all that's in it. And the sea and all that's in it. In other words, I'm the creator. I'm in control. I get to do whatever I want with my creation. I made you. I can tell you what to do. So he is eternal and he's in control. That's who's about to say what comes next. And he said, a lot of hoopla for one short phrase. What's the phrase? There will be no more delay. Does it? You go, well, that's not all that impressive. Yeah, it is. Because all of history has been a delay. Everything you know, everything that has occurred, 
Everything that will occur until the coming of Jesus Christ is a delay. How do we know that? Because bad stuff's happening and God's not doing anything about it. And that messes with people's heads. God, you don't care that I suffer. Really? Oh, I think I care. Well, then why don't you do anything about it? Because when I show up, the whole world melts. Well, then melt it. I would. But there's some people I'm drawing to myself. I'm not trying to stall. I'm trying to allow room for more people to come to know me. Because when I say we're done, guess what? We're done. We don't like that idea. We love the idea that we get a second chance. Second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance. Man, when we die, do we have another chance? What's going on? What about purgatory? More chance, more chance, more chance, right? God goes, there's a time when I'm just going to shut the door. We are done here. I don't want to shut that door until it's proper. And do you feel the tension? Well, God, you're right. You're right. I want you to get... I want justice, but... Okay, I understand. Because all these Christians come up to me, and I always think it's really weird. They'll go, man, I can't wait for Jesus to return. That's going to be awesome and everything. And you know, this whole revelation stuff, this will be great. And I understand your perspective, that you're joyful about the return of the Lord. The problem is, is I have a lot of friends and family that are unsaved. That freaks me out. Because when Jesus says we're done, we're done. Eternal separation from God. That's pretty serious, yeah? And I start going, I understand, Lord. Give them time. Give them time. Do you feel that tension? He wants to protect his children, and he wants to gather his children. That creates this tension. When is he going to come back? At some point, right here, he says, I'm coming back. And it's shutting down now. Everything up to this point was warning. Firing across the bow. The trumpets are blowing bad stuff's exploding all over the world, trying to get everybody's attention. Nobody wants to repent. He said, all right, then we're done. Shut up shop. Right? It says, but in the days, meaning a period of time, when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, and we know that there's seven angels, when he sounds his trumpet, it launches the end part, which is the pouring out of the seven bowls. Just like the seventh seal ended up being seven angels blowing their trumpets. Well, the seventh trumpet is seven bowls. I said this on that day, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants and prophets. Huh? What's that? What's the mystery of God? What, what all of a sudden is what complete? It means all history will find its completion in Jesus Christ, which he revealed in the old Testament. People just missed it. God has always revealed that he is king. He has always revealed that mankind must surrender to him. He has always revealed that he is the savior. He has always revealed that he would fix everything. He has always revealed that he is just. All that mystery, and mystery only means something that needed to be revealed to you. All that mystery finds its full completion in one shot when the world sets up and finishes out. Then I heard a voice from heaven who spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel 
And I asked him to give me the little scroll. He said, take it and eat it. Weird. Is this the only time that people are told to just eat paper? Is this... When I was little, I used to eat ice cream cone, and then I'd start chewing on the napkin when I was a little kid. Isn't that weird? Totally bizarre. I just thought I'd share that with you. All right, I feel better. I also ate popsicle sticks. Not popsicle sticks. You know, little lollipop things? I go, and start gnawing on the popsicle stick. Anyway, that's your pastor. Okay. What do we do with this? Take it and eat it. Is this the only time this has ever happened? No. As a matter of fact, an almost identical story occurred in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 2. Anybody ever remember Ezekiel? He's the only one that wrote a book that's weirder than this, all right? Just real bizarre stuff. Literally, God calls him out and he said, I need you to speak for me. Well, what do you want me to say? I want you to tell the world about me. Good news and bad news. Nobody's going to like you. Nobody's going to listen to you. But I want you to go out and I want you to tell that. Here, in order to explain how that's going to work, here's a little scroll. Eat it. It tasted like honey. And then he said, I went out in the ferocity of the Lord and there was bitterness in my stomach. Same exact scenario. This already happened once. Now it's happening again. So he said, go take it and eat it. So he walks up to the angel and goes, excuse me, that little scroll in your hand, can I, can I go ahead and eat that? Angel said, yeah, that's what it's for. Hands it to him. He takes it and he eats it, right? It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. What does that mean? What? Why are we eating this? What's on the scroll? We don't know exactly, but what can we pretty much guess but the Word of God? What God says is on the Word, right? It's written right there on the scroll. So what is he eating? The Word of God. In John, he wrote a gospel, and he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, he said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the essence of the word became a person, Jesus Christ, right? What did Jesus Christ say that freaked out all of his disciples and a bunch of guys left him? Do you remember? He comes walking down through and he says, I'm the bread of heaven, the bread of life. You must partake of me if you ever want to live. And they said, what? What are you talking about? What did you just say? Did you say, I need to eat you? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you got no part with me. Do you remember that? And everyone stopped. And they went, that's even weird for you. I can't believe you just said that. I don't know what we're talking about, and I'm uncomfortable here. All right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and step over here. And they walked away. He said, you don't get it. You must consume me. Same thing happened right here. When you consume something, it becomes part of who you are. We've all heard that phrase, you are what you eat. Why? Because it fills out and becomes a part of you. When you feed on the Word of God, when you take in who Jesus is, when you know Him inside and out, when you spend your life dining on who and what He is, 
It changes you. It morphs you from the inside out. You begin to partake of him every day. More and more and more you consume and he becomes a part of you. You all of a sudden begin to shape into the image of Jesus Christ. Take and eat. Have you ever done that? I beg of you, if you have never tasted of Christ, please do so today. He is sweet as honey. But I want to be honest with you. It's going to turn your stomach sour because there's some powerful implications of having the king. What do I mean? Remember, we don't sell Jesus as an add-on. We sell Jesus in his entirety. When he comes into your life, he will consume your life. Well, I don't want to become one of those Jesus freaks. Then don't. But I guarantee you this. When you understand who he is and you fall in love with him, it suddenly becomes an option. So many of us say, I feel dry in my spiritual life. I don't feel connected. And I've been a Christian for six years. There's no change in me. There's something wrong with your diet. I'll tell you that. Have I felt it? You better believe it. There's something wrong with my diet. We are to dine all the time on who he is. Had a gentleman come up last night after the service and he just asked me, he said, I feel like I've made some change, but there's so many different areas that haven't moved. What do I do? I said, you dine on him more. You've got to read the word of God. So many of us wait for other people to tell us what Jesus is like. And it feels like it's already been digested once. How about doing it yourself? Well, I don't like reading. Come on. Come on, I get that. Well, I don't understand it. Then read the parts you do. Because there's some easy parts in there too. But you can't fall in love with someone you don't know. So you keep understanding, knowing, moving him back up on the priority list every day. God, what are we doing today? God, what am I about? Why am I here on earth? Why am I working at this job? Why am I going to this church? Show me, Lord, what you want from me. Make me the man. Make me the woman that you've designed me to be. God, teach me to be a wife. Teach me to be a husband. Teach me to be a father. Teach me to be a mother. Show me in your word what I must become in you. For when you feed on him... He takes root. And you grow up looking just like him. Francis Schaeffer, I put a little quote on your page, but that's not all of it. The, the full quote said this. He said, we not only believe in the existence of truth, but we believe we have truth. A truth that we can share with the 20th century world. Do you think our contemporaries will take us seriously if we don't practice truth? In an age that does not believe that truth exists, do you really believe that we will have credibility if we don't practice truth? In other words, too many Christians hear something out of a sermon and before they internalize it, try to start throwing it at somebody else. 
Hey, I learned this in the Bible. You're not doing it. Dunk. And then that person who just got darted looks at you and they go, I don't see that in your life. That's weird. You got no credibility. Every minister of God, which is every believer, must internalize God's truth in order to share it accurately and properly. You don't just walk around and go, hey, check out what I learned, club. That's not right. You internalize it, you eat it, you own it. Then it says what? I took the little squirrel from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted, it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, eaten it my stomach turned sour because I was told, you got to prophesy again. He's like, God, really? Why do I always end up having to tell people reality? They don't want to hear it. I didn't ask you if they wanted to hear it. I told you that you stand for truth. I didn't tell you to be rude. I told you to be honest. And honest means something. You must prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kingdoms. Are you willing to say the hard thing? Are you willing to engage with the hard thing? Yeah? Check this out. I'm sitting on my, uh, at the bar counter of our house in the kitchen. I'm eating my oatmeal in the morning. And I had to read something, right? I'm always one of those guys that no matter what I'm doing, I've always got to read something. Well, there was nothing on the counter to read except for my daughter's, my four-year-old daughter, who's turning five. The four-year-old daughter's magazine, Clubhouse Junior. Anybody ever seen Clubhouse Junior? My mom got it for him. So Clubhouse Junior is there and it has little pictures from five-year-olds and stuff. And I'm like, okay, it's the only thing to read. Open it up and right in the middle is the story. It says the king who found the Bible. And I went, whoa, that's, that's pretty hardcore for a five-year-old. It's the story of Josiah. Second Kings chapter 22. All of a sudden, after 57 years of bad leadership in Israel, nobody focusing on God, the Bible's nowhere to be found, an eight-year-old comes to the throne named Josiah. After 10 years, because he's pretty little, when he turns 18, he starts asking about stuff in the kingdom and starts leading. We're now 67 years out from the last good guy. He starts asking what's in the temple. They start grabbing stuff and one of his secretaries goes, check out what I found. What's that? It's the word of God. Well, what's it say? Well, let me read it to you. He starts reading the Old Testament to him. The king rips his clothes. And the whole kingdom changes. Why? Because that's what God's word does. We've got to engage with it. We must know it. That's why we study every weekend. Yeah? Okay, we're going to close with a couple challenges. Number one, for those of you that call yourselves believers, i got a challenge for you. Don't bend to peer pressure. What do I mean? I mean that a lot of times the truth is not very popular. You have no right to be rude. Do you understand what I'm saying? No right to be rude. But you have a duty to be truthful and honest. Which means that you're probably going to get a lot more friends if you always tell them what they want to hear. But sometimes they need a friend. And a friend says, you look like you're hurting and I think I know why. They may not like what you say next, 
But if it's true, it's true. So that's one challenge. The second challenge is stay strong in God's word. I get that you don't want to. That's why you have to start a habit, right? Of course, it's not natural. No, of course, it's awkward. But it becomes more natural. Do things that force you to get into God's word, right? And finally, this. If you would like to begin a walk with Jesus today, because you hear about him, right? I've talked about him. To me, he's everything. He did not, as one gal said in the newcomers class just about half hour ago, she said, Jesus didn't solve my problems, but he sure made me look at him different. I'm not promising you that he's going to solve your problems the way you want it done. But boy, it changes everything. If you want to know the Lord, meet me over there. Because I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. That's it. When the last song is going on, and briefly after, go meet me. Because I want you to begin a walk with Jesus. Let's have the team come on up as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. May we take what you said and consume it completely. And Lord, that it would become a part of the very fabric of our being. That when we read your word, Lord, it's not just for information's sake, but it's for transformation's sake. Oh God, make us those incredible people that you know in your mind we can be. Allow us to fall in love with you all over again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.